Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. I am joined, as always, by Maggie Park, as always, in another exciting new location. So there we are in the bright, sunny attic this afternoon, Maggie is. I, I do feel like I need a little, like, where in the world is Maggie? But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not anywhere exotic. To, it's in my sister's attic office. So uh, my yes. very patient brother-in-law is next to me, so I'll try to keep it down for the first few minutes while he finishes work. <laughs> yes, though of course in the sunshine because you are here in America. I know in daytime. Yeah, I'm here for the summer, gang. So 4:30 in the afternoon instead of 9:30 at night. At least we know we won't be woken by Hazel and her nightmares. So. <laughs> That's right. That's something. That's right. Or interrupted. We possibly should have waited to talk about orcs and uh, and bad guys <laughs> until you were in the sunshine, but that's all right. That's um, all right. Nice to be back. And we had yeah. a break for Mythmoot. You had a, a nice week at Mythmoot. We had a great week at Mythmoot. Yeah, Mythmoot was, was really fun as always. Um, had a good time talking about, we were talking about studio stuff down there and, and uh, you know, uh, had some fun conversations. Uh, lots of people excited about uh, what's going on here. But um, uh, anyway, so today we wanted to talk about, so we want, we want to come back really sort of to a question that we've started asking before. It's been something that's I've been thinking about a lot. And it was the... It was the conversation when we talked about Star Wars Visions, uh, and we were talking specifically about we we chose as that as an illustration, um, the uh, uh, "I Am Your Mother" um, uh, episode from season mm-hmm. two of Star Wars Visions, um, uh, the one made by the Wallace and Gromit folks, and. Um, the question that I found most intriguing as we were thinking about that then is we we're thinking about Star Wars visions as a, as a kind of an example, right? Um, as a really interesting sort of envelope pushing example, really, um, for uh, adaptation and understanding and defining adaptation, really. Um, and, yeah. and the question basically is, how do you know? So when there's... We spent a lot of time talking about things like, okay, so when you're adapting a source text, what you know, what kind of, what is the relationship with the source text? And we've been, we've been, you know, we've been trying to talk about ways in which, you know, it's, it's obviously a little more complicated than just have they made changes from the source text? You know, so a lot of that ground we've gone over a good deal, but this seems to me a much more advanced kind of question. When you take something like Star Wars Visions, which is here's a short story that may involve planets, races, and plot lines that have nothing to do with any Star Wars Anything story ever published. So there's, there's so, you know, there are continuity issues, right? There, you know, there, there are basic sort of world continuity issues that may come into play, but it's plot-wise totally disconnected from everything. Um, so how Phil, can to your you point, yeah. So to Phil's point in the chat, don't worry, you know, for us talking about Star Wars today, if you haven't seen Visions or anything else, we're just talking about that as kind of a vehicle because Visions is totally separate from totally separate. Any, That's plot, exactly any storyline we know. That's the, yeah. the purpose of it. Yeah, exactly. So, so the the question was the question that that, that I was really wrestling with that day was, how do you even answer the question yeah. of like, does it fit? Like, you know, when you're when when you're when you're trying to figure, is this does this work? You know, is this does this is this right? Um, does this succeed as a Star Wars adaptation? How do you base that? Okay, that answer like oh, what do you base that answer on and we were we were talking about things like um uh how star warsy is it you know like does it succeed and what in makes me? it star warsy yeah wh- on what is star warsiness based um so i wanted to come back to this question um 
both because I've watched all of both seasons of Vision since then. Um, uh, and so and I couldn't help but think about this question again and again as I was going through the entire two seasons of Star Wars uh, Visions. Um, but also there are other really interesting kinds of places where this sort of comes into question. And that is with adaptations where there is also no where there's no clear source text. Right. Um, uh, one that you meant, you know, a project that you mentioned, um, Maggie, as we were thinking about today was the Barbie movie. Right. Mm -hmm. The Barbie movie, on the one hand, clearly an adaptation on one level, an adaptation. Right. Based on something else based on something else, right? Yeah. Um, in other words, people coming to the Barbie film are in some have sense a... going to have this, they're going to be asking this kind of evaluative question, right? How, what does success look like for that adaptation, right? Um, and the, the thing that it made me think of, Maggie, was the Lego film, you know, thinking of the, the original Lego movie from several years ago, right? Mm -hmm. That was in a similar kind of position. Like, what does that mean? That it's yeah. a movie about Lego, right? Like, uh, precisely. And I'm, and I'm so glad you made that, like, comparison, because when I'm thinking about the Barbie movie coming out, we don't know what it is yet. I haven't seen it. But if you watch the trailer, it's quite tongue-in-cheek. It feels very adult. Right. So we're taking two starting points, children's toys, right. and going in very different directions. But the audience doesn't necessarily know that. So if you just know it's based on a toy, you have so many varying expectations coming into that film. You know, you right. think it's a kid's film. You think it's, you know, this storyline because it says Batman, but it's really, really not, you know? Right, right, right. So, yeah, I, that's what I was interested in, of like the, the expectations of these different platforms coming into it. So yeah. Visions, I feel like, was a really good vehicle for us to start that conversation because each episode is almost a different medium. They're all animated, but they're incredibly different. They don't tie together, and yet yes. somehow they all work too and yeah yeah and then there's um um and then there's two other films that i would point to which are on different kind of points of the spectrum right would be the super mario film on the one which hand, i haven't seen yet but so much right. too i haven't seen it yet either um but again just sort of conceptually again my, my, my question is not is it's not to review it but to ask the question what does it mean what for it to be successful as an adaptation? Like, what, what does that look like? Right. And then the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which which I did talk about on that week that you couldn't be here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would say that, that when I say further down the spectrum, the spectrum that I'm thinking there, Super Mario. Um, now, over the years, with all of the sequel games and the ways in which that's been developed, the Super Mario world has been developed through console games uh, and that kind of thing. There is a great deal more sort of narrative and world building that mm -hmm. has gone into the Super Mario world, certainly, than those of us who grew up playing it, uh, you know, uh, on the old, uh, you know, Nintendo entertainment system um, would associate with it. Uh, but still, it's compared to, you know, an adaptation of a novel, it's really, really light as far as like story and characterization, like, you know, people coming in and comparing it to the source text, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that people, you, know, you just can't have the same expectations for a Super Mario adaptation that you would have for like a, an adaptation of War and Peace, right? I mean, like, no. it's just, it's just no. not going to be the same, right? Um, and... But I think that the Dungeons and Dragons movie, although it's similar in the sense that it's an adaptation not of a 
not of a story, but of a, a game a game system, right? A gaming system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's further towards like the novel end because there is more story. There is yeah. very much explicit world building that goes into the D and D gaming system, and so there are certainly way more things. If if people who are gonna come in with checklists, which we generally discourage people coming into adaptations with checklists. But and yet we if you're keep gonna, bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, even if you're, but if you're going to do it, it's it's much you know it's easier to have a much longer one with with the 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 D and D film than with the Super Mario film, right? Um, so um, uh, anyway, like that's but, that's the and with with yeah, yeah go ahead go ahead. This, I, we just get so excited. That's all it is. It's okay. yeah. and, and with both of these two, I mean, I'm just thinking about video games now. You know, like you have such varying audiences for video games. Like I would not expect the audience for Super Mario Brothers to be the same as the audience for Dungeons and Dragons. And as a filmmaker, I would want to consider that. So when I would engage with development, you've got a lot more space with Mario Brothers because there's not a lot to work with there bare bones. It's quite simplistic, you know, like here's your stereotype, here's your world, go. Whereas Dungeons and Dragons and the people playing it much more invested, much more time, much more autonomy, um, very engaged. So the bar is a bit higher there because there's a lot more personal audience buy-in. They are participating in the story. They are identifying with characters. I don't identify with Mario. I just play Mario, you know? Right. Right. So the people coming to watch Mario are there to be entertained. The people coming to watch Dungeons and Dragons, I feel like might be a little bit more threatened because you're in their world. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about success, you kind of have to weigh what that audience is expecting as success as well. For entertainment, sure, easy enough to attain. For satisfaction and putting their torches and pitchforks away, a little bit trickier with the Dungeons and Dragons crew. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, JJ has a really interesting parallel here. He says... Um, thinking just of Nintendo properties, right? Uh, for a Super Mario movie, he says, we'd expect a simpler, more lighthearted story. Just if you play the game, that's what you would come in, probably what you would come in expecting. Whereas if they were, somebody were doing a film adaptation of The Legend of Zelda, which could well happen, right? Um, you'd expect a more, like more world building, mm-hmm. a more, as he says, a more lore heavy story, right? Mm-hmm. Um Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and some of those elements, I think, are part of what it would mean to be. I mean, again, it, one of the fundamental questions that we have been going about trying to answer for over a year now has been the question of, like, what does it mean for an adaptation to be true to the original? Like what kind you know, when you're yeah. when you're trying to figure out how to talk about that, how do you talk about that? And this the, I, this this stuff, it's re- so it's really fun to think of these. Um, I'm tempted to call it, I, 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 this might sound like a slight, and I don't mean it as a slight, but these kind of fringe examples, right? Fringe in the sense of like doing, yeah. you know, when, when you've got a, a, a famous book and you're doing a film adaptation of that famous book, that's like the mainstream mm-hmm. of what everybody thinks of when you think about adaptation issues and this question of, you know, truth to the original and purism and all of those things, right? Um, 
Whereas these other these other things, I mean, again, like was anybody the Lego movie was really good. But was even if the Lego movie had been bad, was anybody going to go to this and be like, this is untrue to the Lego toys? I know. Like, I, I'm not, I mean, like it's it, and it's hard to see people up in arms in exactly the same way. That, that's what I mean. That, that's sort of more fringe uh, kind of in that way. Um, now, another example, which is along similar lines, it's not exactly the same situation, but the same questions kind of spill over towards it. Um, is the new Indiana Jones film, right? Um, and there, that question of, is this... How do you evaluate that, right? How you, do you evaluate it as an Indiana Jones movie, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's a tough one to kind of talk about, too, because it's not strictly an adaptation, right? Like, right. you're not talking yeah. about no. book to film. But we're talking about a series that is 30, almost 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So that is an adaptation when you think about reimagination. You're taking yes. something known and you're interpreting it in a new way. Same characters 40 years on. It is kind of a retelling. So I think it's fair for us to bring that into this space because we are talking about like a reboot, you know? Yeah. And I know they well, tried it with Kingdom of Crystal Skull, Crystal Skull not too long ago, but we don't need to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty horrible, though. Oh, I mean, God. I feel like we almost have to talk about that because it's the I mean, I. It's a good example of failure not, in that. not working. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Not, absolutely. Not ticking the box correctly. No, no. And um, and I, I mean, at the end of the day, of course, it goes back to one of the things I've been saying about adaptations for years is that when you're making an adaptation, your first responsibility is to make a great movie. Um, and they failed at that, just like the Hobbit films failed at that also. And so much of the rest of it becomes moot, um, as is so often the case, I find, with the Hobbit films. Like, many of their actual adaptation choices are really good and really interesting, but it doesn't matter because the films yeah. are so bad. Um, that's so, so that's, often the case with, yeah. that's so often the case with sequels, too, isn't it? You know, there's just this hype to live up to the first film that all they think about is reenacting a first film instead of mm -hmm. just telling a good story. Yeah. Um, Frozen 2 is the one that comes to mind when I think about that. I wouldn't right. like Frozen 2 unless I watched the making of documentary. That just makes me like the process. The right. actual film has some serious story problems. <laughs> right, right. So they're yeah. just trying to capitalize off success of Frozen, but you can't do that without a functioning story. Yeah, no, I really do think that the question of, I mean, this with Indiana Jones, it's it's essentially in the Star Wars situation, right? As far as you know, when we talk when we talk about Star Wars as an adaptation project, um, it's it's not exactly an adaptation. There isn't a source text exactly, but we are, but especially things like, well, everything they've been doing with Star Wars, other than the prequels. Um, from the animated, you know, from the Clone Wars and Rebels and the Bad Batch to um, the Mandalorian and Andor and Rogue One and the Solo film, all of these things have all been fill in the gaps adaptations, right? Mm -hmm. um, but of course, in a sense, then you can say, well, what is a sequel but filling in the future gap? Yeah, after. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. Right. So, so really, I mean, the, the, this process, there is something fundamentally. There is a fundamental harmony between the process of making a good adaptation of something and making a good sequel of something. Yeah. You're, there, there, there is um, they are at the very least first cousins, if not mm -hmm. um, if not like really, uh, you know, the very, the very, you know, very similar process. 
yeah, exactly. And like in terms of production and development, it is a really similar process. You have a core thing that you're trying to replicate, but instead of being 300 pages of text, you have 90 minutes of film time, screen time. Right. And there's, you know, one of the things I think theoretically that makes the sequel making thing most different from the adaptation thing is that there is there is a pre the the pressure that it has to be different, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course, like any adaptation, like book to film, is gonna be different, right? But there's no pressure to come up with a new story. Like, if anything, the pre pressure's all in the other direction, like to be as close to the original as possible. Whereas when you're making a a, a sequel to a film to a successful film, hopefully a successful film, um, you you have a lot of those same like you know it's got there's got to be continuity we're, we're we're thinking about the relationship we want these to be really closely related like a, a, an adaptation in its source but now instead of saying we're trying to stay as close to the original as possible you're saying it has to be different if it if we just rehash the same thing you know that's what you know, so many people were complaining about with The Force Awakens, for instance, that, yeah. you know, was just a rehash of the first of the first trilogy, especially The New Hope. Um, and uh, even to the point where the 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 now, I mean, I liked the fact that the characters themselves were like conscious of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it, like it was worked into, the, you know, I, I, you know, like Han Solo's remark that there's always a way to blow up these things. Right. You, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there was there's there was tongue in cheek. Yeah, I mean, th th those elements I actually quite liked about The Force Awakens, but I, it's not that I w didn't see the problem, right? Um, and it seemed to me to go, um, uh, you know, to go in, 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 I, th that they were walking that line imperfectly, right, in yeah. that, in that sequel. But, um, but yeah, th that seems to me the biggest, as far as I can see, the biggest difference between doing an adaptation and doing a sequel is that that pressure for that pressure for difference. Yeah, I think that pressure is really interesting to think about, though. You know, I know I've mentioned the Harry Potters before, but that's my my clearest example of the first two Harry Potters are so faithful to the text that they're really mm -hmm. boring films. Yes. And then they knew they had an audience because people came to see it. They made bank they had millions. They knew people were going to keep seeing this franchise because they were successful financially um, with the audience. So then they had freedom. So the third film takes a real departure from the text, visually, yes. textually, character development, costume, yes. music, everything. Yes. And it's real different. And then it kind of follows that track for the rest of the series. So, you know, you do have that pressure to satisfy book fans initially, author themselves, you know, mm -hmm. the, the expectation to not mess with that. But then once you've secured that, you get a little bit more freedom. Yes. And what you do with that, you know, the, the one that always baffles me, though, I worked with a couple of producers that had the rights to a text and sent me a draft of the script. And I hadn't read the book for two of these is what I'm thinking of. I hadn't read the book yet, but they noted, oh, we want to change the end. We want to do this instead. It makes for a better story. I was like, ooh, because they want to change the end. And one of them was this kid's book about somebody dying of cancer and they wanted the person to die at the end and not live. And I was like, that is a huge change. Like, <laughs> That's a pretty big change. <laughs> if you want to change that, and this is a multi-million copy selling book, like what's your plan? Because <laughs> right. you got to manage that expectation. So that kind of change just for shock value or because you think it's a better story, that feels reckless to me. Like you, you got to know what you're getting into. 
Yeah. Um, but if people have ideas, the change they wanted things, to make was they wanted to kill the character. They wanted at the to end kill the character instead yeah. of wow. Yeah. yeah. So in it was book, a survival story and they wanted yeah. to <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a survival incredible. story. And it was a teenage thing, you know, like right. yeah, they wanted they wanted to kill the, wow. the lead kid. Wow. I was like, well wow. then you're really not getting a sequel. You're gonna bomb on multiple fronts. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was wow. intense. Wow. It never got made. That that one that one has not been made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um yeah and so sorry i got distracted i'm like no yeah, no that, but see, that with, was entertaining <laughs> but it's actually it's actually an interesting kind of example right yeah. um uh you know i think back phil refers to um tolkien's reference to an adaptation needing to um to not change the core of the original right the question is what is the core what's the core how do you define that exactly and that makes me think of our Christmas Carol conversation because I loved, yes. Yes. I loved that realization. You made me wake up on that one to be like the core of Christmas Carol, is seeing that other the change. Options. Yeah, the See, change. Yeah. yeah, 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 The change of heart, and that change of heart is possible, whether or not. So it if, if that core can be one second, that core can be a moment. But as long as mm -hmm. that core is there, that was very, that was a very cool discovery. It was, but, and that, and that's why your example, the cancer example, there strikes me as an enor as a perfect example. I mean, <laughs> it's not just a, an alteration to kill the character at the end instead of the character. I mean, when you take a story of survival and you turn it into a story of grief, that's a different story. That's a totally different story. Um, yeah. And the story of grief, that's a story worthy of being told. Like it's, Absolutely. I can, I can understand. I mean, I guess I can understand somebody who reads the book and says, I would rather this were a different story than the story that it is. Right. But in a situation like that, like you can't, you you can't do that. Sure. Like and you've, you've, because th yeah, that's I, a vi it's an ultimate violation. I think of that core. It would seem to that's, me. That's when you write fan fiction. Like if you read something, you're like, oh, I think I can do this better or different. Here's an exercise. You don't actually rewrite the text. Like, you know, I'm sure I shared this year too. The first version of Twilight, um, Bella was a track star at Brigham Young University, and Edward was not a vampire. He was a criminal on the run from the FBI. Why right. even call that Twilight? Like, right. there's such departures from the text that you really question, do they recognize what a core is? Or are they just trying to create something that they think audiences will like and attaching it to a property because they think which that is, will make it more successful? Which is where, I mean, of and this there. of course comes straight into the main stuff that you have done with these people. But like, it's why you think that i mean if you want to tell a certain story right again there's no reason you, you can tell that story like if they want to tell the story about the track star and the criminal like they right. could make a tell movie it. about a track star and a criminal like that's but fine. why pay millions for the rights and disappoint loads of fans and have that going against you going into it and the yeah. the what simply seems complete hubris essentially to say like okay we want to make a film from this book because this book has sold tens of millions of copies, right? Because people, obviously, there's something in this story that people are resonating with. And so, therefore, 
they've millions of people have bought copies. That's right. what led us to want to do this adaptation in the first place, right? Yeah. Now we're going to say, JK. We yeah, we think their story is not in fact a good story at all. A much better story would be a completely different story. Yeah. Um, I, I get just that sort of rationale. Ooh, talk about striking close to home. Phil's just asking, isn't that what they did to Susan Cooper? <laughs> you know, I almost did that. I almost did that example, Phil, because you know, you know, I'm going to bring them all up. Susan yeah. Cooper was another one. Why yeah. on earth take a book that focuses on Arthurian legend and time travel and all of this Celtic myth? Take all of that out and make my 11-year-old British hero a 14-year-old American and give him right. a love interest and a twin trapped in an alternate dimension. Like, none of this exists in the story. And all right. of that is fine. You can have that coming-of-age story, but don't call it The Darkest Rising. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oof, um, I can go off on that tangent for a while, gang. Yeah, but see, but all of this, all of this stuff really... Um, I don't know. This is why it's so useful for me to process this on these all of these different levels, right? Because this, you know, in some ways, this stuff is all exactly the stuff we've been wrestling with, trying to ourselves work through and help people understand better how to talk about exactly these questions. So let, let's go back to the sort of the fringy stuff, right? Um, I, and I, I think it's really useful having seen you know, the sort of the similarities to the basic uh, sort of adaptation question. But let's go back to things like Barbie, right? Um, or things like the Lego film, right? Um, the thing that to me made the Lego movie um, such an interesting example of an adaptation of this kind is that there they seem to me to be like the fundamental premise of the movie, like, the movie is about Legos and what it means to build Legos. And there's this, um, the way that it balances the two different levels on which the story is happening, right? Um, there is like the inner world of the Lego characters and the world that the, the Lego world in which they're living, right? Mm -hmm. In which like the craggle is the great threat, right? And all these things. Um, and then there is the frame world outside that right of the boy and his father um and the way that they play with legos and and what that means to them and that seemed to me to be of a fundamentally brilliant way to kind of get at the essence of what lego means yeah. right um th both of these things that like it is about at least i mean I always found it to be about like the Legos. When I was a kid, I loved playing with Legos uh, and building Legos because it was like world building. Right. And it was like, you know, the kind of imaginative things, man, like all of the um, I had a, we had a bunch of castle Lego sets when I was a kid and my brother, my little brothers were kids. And um, uh, my little brother and I used to have like these epic battles with our like castle Lego sets and everything. And these, like all these stories that we would, you know, put into place and stuff um, and play out the way in which Legos are both a vehicle for narrative, right. Mm -hmm. That is independent of you, but also like the story and the bonding of building them together. Right. Yeah. Uh, like the process itself and the way that the film actually captured both of those levels was That's just gorgeous and really, really brilliant. 
and and beyond i mean that's like level one and two which are beautiful both of them but i also feel like there's another level of just like epic storytelling you know mm -hmm. you could absolutely bring hero monomyth and things like that into it because at the core of everything is free will and fate right i mean like right. what's his purpose he wants to fulfill his dream he wants to be free he wants to build and grow and be you know yeah. the fact that you could get that out of a lego character there's no reason and the you know. way that that mapped in such an intricate and complex way between yeah. the Lego character and the kid, right? And the, I mean, yeah. oh man, it was so, so well And this done. is what's so fun Play when styles, you right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then what's so fun when you take a story that could be so simple and you put the time and the thought into it, you know, like you could have just made a quick Lego movie. It probably would have made bank. It would have been fun. But no, this is taking like Pixar level storytelling into it. And let's add yes. as many nuances and levels as we can and make it for the grownups and the kids. And every time I watch like a movie, I catch something else. You know, there's yeah. so many good jokes. There's so many good cameos and, yes. and things happening in the background that it's brilliant. I just think it's a, a great film. So yeah. in terms of adaptation, you're taking lots of little stuff and making it play out in a beautiful story. You're taking my expectation and satisfying it, but then raising it and wowing, you know? And I love the idea that you said where like, you're actually physically building the world. So I have my own personal time and investment building that castle yes. and then get to participate in watching this new story unfold. There's a lot of emotional buy-in. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I was um, wondering about when I was going to the D&D &D film. Because um, I didn't know, I, I had read almost nothing about it. So I knew very, very little about the film before I, before I showed up to it. Um, I tended keep myself as you know my my, my first that. viewing experience experience as virginal as possible when it comes to you know experiencing the thing um and so one, one of my big questions was um to what extent like is this just going to be like a fantasy movie that takes place within you know the world basically you know the uh, of the the primary world of of, of D, D um uh or is are they going to make any attempt to have like the actual role playing experience enacted into it? And the example that I gave was the old 1980s D&D um, &D cartoon, which received a gorgeous um, cameo shout out in the uh, um, in the film, in the recent film. It was really it was really fun. Um, the Maggie, it was, it was one of those beautifully well done things where, um, so like at the end, there's like a, this like big dungeon thing that like a couple groups are competing to go through this like competitive environment, right? Okay. And so the, the main protagonists are one of the groups that comes into this at the end. And they just, there are these two other groups like of red shirts, right? That are competing against them in there in the end. And one of them is the group from the 1980s cartoon, like all nice. the same characters dressed exactly yeah. the same way and no attention is drawn to it like no big deal is made of it um nice. but it's like but if you watch the cartoon like there were a you bunch know. of people of a certain age in the theater when i was there being like oh my gosh look at that anyway that was really fun um but um but in any case example of fan service excellent <laughs> example of fan service in that old cartoon though the cartoon was the whole premise of the cartoon was basically trying to model the role-playing experience. It was the story that the frame narrative of the cartoon was that there were these like uh, 
you know, modern teenagers who somehow get magically transported back into, you know, into this like fantasy kingdom where they are like, you know, put into the bodies of these like it's like Jumanji kind of essentially very much like that kind of premise, except years and years before. Um, either of the Jumanji films. Um, in other words, so so like the, the sort of the break between like I am this character, but I also am this player from the modern world, right? That was mm-hmm. that was there uh, throughout mm-hmm. uh, the the sort of the storyline there. And so that was my question. Like the Lego film, right? Like the way in which the Lego film was kind of doing both levels at one time. Mm-hmm. Were we going to get um, any of that uh, sort of stuff? And I. Um, uh, not much, much less certainly than the '80s cartoon did. Much less also than the Lego film attempted to do. I think that there were some elements there, and I think in order for it to be, it was an excellent film. I think in order for it to be as excellent an adaptation as the Lego film was, I think it it would have needed to do a little bit more of that. There were still some elements, and there were still some kind of um, kind of parallels there um where you could see i agree with what madagod says that they did a good job of having the story be driven by individual characters choices and growth Mm. in ways yes that did feel similar to um the way i'm thinking especially madagod i'm forgetting the name the sorcerer character um was one that really struck out in that particular way um but anyway this is it comes down to identifying successfully identifying that core right yeah and so whether you're talking about something like that horrible cancer survivor film that you were talking about or the twilight proposal that you were talking about or the dark is rising which sadly did in fact happen um uh with those things these are these are filmmakers these are adapters who are are completely whiffing on the core or grasping just don't get do not at all see what the core is. Um, and, um, uh, the, and there's a lot of reasons that could happen. Sure. So I don't, I don't really feel like we need to dive into that. There's a lot of reasons that could happen, but the core topic is what makes us upset as successful Mm -hmm. adaptations. And Mm -hmm. I think successful in terms of reception, we don't need to think box office and things like that. Cause that's a different definition, but yes. Yes. That core is what people don't necessarily take the time to discover mm-hmm. and how to translate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that box office doesn't matter so much. N- not because we're like, oh, it's not about money. It's about art. Um, but because oh, it's I, not... I look at the money side all the time. Like that's yeah, definitely m- m- the money at. matters. This is a different, yeah, different it, but, conversation. but it is a different question. I mean, you could take an example. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but a film which is an adaptation um, where the film is excellent and the book was much less good. Um, and the six, so you could say it's a bad adaptation in the sense that it missed the core. Um, it changed the core, um, but it changed the core in a good way. Like, and it is now a good story in ways that the original was not a good story. Um, I, I think, I, I'm sure there are examples though. Many people don't know them because, they'll just think of the, and not even realize that there was a book. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I am tempted to say a controversial thing and put the princess bride in this 
basic Ooh. category. But that would be a slightly saucy thing to say, and I'm not ready That's to go the all the way down that road. I do think the film is better than the book. Um, but... Um, but I don't know that I would call the book a failure. That's the that's the, that's where I would stop no. short. Um, no, I mean, both but, things can be successful and be very different from each other. There's, yeah, I think we've talked yeah. about that too. There's wonderful stories that have made yeah. wonderful films, and they're very different. That's okay. It's just yeah. and, how you tell the story in a different way. And the Princess Bride is a bad data point from an adaptation perspective because it's the same person. Right. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. it's not somebody coming in and adapting the work of somebody else. And what's the more, I mean, in a in a in a in a nutshell, the reason I think that the Princess Bride book is not as good as the movie is that I think the book itself wanted to be a screenplay instead of a book. You know, like I, I, I th when he was writing the book, I think he really wanted to be writing a screenplay. And <laughs> it's one of the things that like the the screenplayishness are some of the things that make it less good as less successful as a book, you know? Oh, so would it be fun if we could have that conversation with him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be, it would be. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so, so, so that's, um, uh, but anyway, the point is you can, it's just an example of how you can, you could have an adaptation that does in a sense, miss the core of the original and yet <laughs> succeed perfectly well, maybe even better. Um, but, but yeah, even this idea of the core, it goes back to, I think, it informs the question about Star Warsiness for Visions, right? Um, yeah. You know, if I had to, you know, choose among, there were some of the, um, when I, you know, watching them all, there were some, which like stylistically I was like, whoa, this is really different from what I normally watch, which was interesting, but I'm like this, I'm having a hard time getting into this, uh, because it's so, it's so, so strange visually or, or, or even audibly. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, there's, there's, there were certainly some that I found extremely striking and really fascinating, mm. um, that I wasn't sure about at the beginning. Um, have you watched season two yet? I have. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm going to pull up the, the first one. Um, I think it's called the Sith. Um, the very first episode of season two. It's the one with all the colors, the painter yes. and the Sith, uh, the, the, the woman who's a painter and the Sith comes after her and she fights him. Um, yes. really, really striking visual display. On oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Such At the very style. beginning, I was like, I'm not sure about this. And then I was mm -hmm. just blown away, progressively blown away through the course of that, uh, yeah. of, of that, uh, short. But, um, um, anyway, I was, um, I had to read back over that and how they use the paint as the actual medium to show character change. Right. Because by yes. the end, it starts as one very sparse, simple thing. And by the end, it is completely saturated and yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The way in which the paint was both like, it was both literally involved in the plot and also, being used as a visual metaphor, um, you know, and, and it kept, there were times when it was hard to tell which was which, you know, and anyway, it was, it was very, it was very interesting. I mean, the way that it kind of played with um, the way in which color is used in Star Wars, even just like lightsaber mm -hmm. color, right? Yeah, I um, mean, when you see, when you see red, blue, green, yellow, yeah. you, you make certain 
associations. So having that be questioned was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And now, um, and and then, of course, light and darkness as well, with light side and dark side, um, also was a major kind of motif through that um uh, through that, through that short. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it was um, yes, Phil, exactly. There was diegetic and 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 non-diegetic paint uh, in the in that episode, yes. absolutely. Um, but um, and and yes, there were times when I wasn't sure which was which. Uh, you know, when it, when it was not clear. Um, but anyway, I, I I so as I say, these questions about like in what ways are these stories which are not connected to like that that story is actually a really good example where there, i mean there is a sith there but story-wise narrative-wise there is no connection with anything else like this the 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 woman who is the protagonist of the short has no place in the story anywhere else um nor any reason to think she ever will be the other person who came you know the sith who came to fight her was not anyone recognizable um Mm -hmm. So it was really just like the fact that there was a Sith there, right? And there were lightsabers used. You could say that was the only Star Wars-y thing about it, but it wasn't. There were also other superficial elements. There were droids and there was a speeder and, uh, you know, and, and, and there was flying. I said pilots were another thing that seemed to me important. And there, there, were, there was a few familiar sounds too, weren't there? They yes. used some of the beeps and things like that. Yep. Yeah. Um, But at the end of the day, I felt that it was a very, um, uh, a very important, the whole, would she join the Sith, you know, the kind of the, Mm -hmm. the moral and personal progress and dilemma of the protagonist. I was like, this is very core Star Wars. Like this is, this is part of the core. But what um, I also liked was that it didn't yeah. require that knowledge. Mm-hmm. It hit. We all felt that. But for a big break between seasons one and two, and then to have that as the first episode of season two, that was a pretty smart choice, right? Because that acts mm-hmm. as a really good gateway. You don't have to know everything that came before. You yes. don't have to understand all of the references. We're just going to show you this really beautiful, interesting thing. And make sure that we reference something that will be familiar to you, so you know that it does tie into this world. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, most of you know, if I were looking at um, coming at Star Wars visions and coming at it from the opposite direction, that is, instead of looking at individual visions, you know, shorts and saying, "Does this succeed in?" being Star Warsy enough? Do I feel like I'm I'm in the Star Wars space, you know, when I'm watching this? Instead of that, to look at the question, I found myself looking at the question from the other direction. I'm like, okay, taking all what was it, sixteen or something, um, from the first two seasons. I think it was eight or in each eight shorts mm-hmm. in each season. So. Taking all sixteen short films together and saying, okay, based on these sixteen short films, what do these filmmakers identify as the core mm-hmm. of Star Wars. Right. right. Um, and we know they had guidance from the executive committee and they had, you know, yeah. working with the people that really helped define what that core is. Yeah. But they got and, to discover it themselves. Yeah. And I, I'm, I would say my answer, which then I went back to kind of check against, you know, all the other mainstream Star Wars things. Right. And I think it's kind of right. I think that the core of um, 
the core of Star Wars is the light and dark side of the Force and the sort of the 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 tension and the process of like self-actualization in the context of that like the you know the the core narrative of the first trilogy like the original Star Wars trilogy is not are the rebels going to overcome the empire it's is Luke going to turn to the dark side or not Right. right. The sort of tug of war between Luke and Vader with Vader on the one hand as someone who has turned in the past and who does turn back at the end. And mm-hmm. with the whole climax, the entire point of everything in the end was to, t- to tempt Luke to turn right in the end. Um, and again, not saying that nothing else matters, but like that's the core story of yeah. of the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, and that Fate seems to be the th- evil. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, and, and finding the path there and it's, it's, and, and they're doing a really interesting thing where on the one hand they've created what seems at first like a very simplistic binary between, you know, the, the blue lightsaber and the, and the, and the, and the red lightsaber, right. Between yeah. the, yeah. the light side and the dark side. Um, but it's not just simplistic and binary and you can see the sort of the, you know, the attraction in the pole, um, along the way in either direction. Um, mm-hmm. And that seemed to be, there was a, 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 a significant number of the stories that really kind of touched on that idea. Um, yeah. Not all of them involved Jedis. Not all of them involved lightsabers. Many of them did. I mean, that was a major trend. Um, uh, the majority of the stories were like one Jedi in the midst of non-Jedi, you know, somebody who turns out to be a Jedi or to have abilities to be trained as a Jedi or something like that. That was a very frequent kind of trend. Um, But um, yeah, that's a pretty exciting question to ask of this though. Like we keep talking about core. Does it have to be the same for each person? I mean, everything you're, we're kind of describing just makes me think about individual choices and relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe that's our core, but not everybody tells it in the same way. So maybe there's, maybe there's a couple of cores that can work so long as they all are honoring. Yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, any story must or should be reducible to like a really simplistic, um, you know, or one single or simplistic thing. Um, of course can be really complicated. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 I think, and there are certainly different people can place different sort of priorities on different things, right? Um, so yes, I do think it's not to say, I, I'm not trying to claim that there's like one single sort of simple thing there. Um, but at the same time, it is clear that you can objectively miss it. Yes. Right. I mean, like the cancer survivor story, fundamentally different story, not the same story. Right. Doesn't mean they might not have told a good story. Wrong exactly. story. Different story. Just not that yeah. story. It's, it's, yeah. it would be, it would be a falsely identified story. Right. Yeah. Um, so what uh, about the complications when we don't, have a singular core. I'm thinking rings of power now. 
So yeah. how do we define that? We know there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen, a lot of opinions coming into that. We don't know if they fit the market or not. We're only a fifth of the way through it. So it's a little safer to, to talk about, I think. But Yeah. Um, sorry, throwing you a curveball. I'm like, this no, making me think. No, what I'm trying to think is like, okay, what would I identify as the core of the Lord of the Rings? Mm. I think I've asked this question before. I don't I know that I've, about I think we have. I'm trying to think if I've Maybe answered it. Um, but it's okay. I can't remember what my answer was. So that means this is, will just be a fascinating other data point. Um, I, I have in my head, what I think you're going to say, so I want you to finish and then I'm going to okay. tell you what I was thinking. I think the core is similar to the core that I was describing for Star Wars, basically. I think that the core is... Um, Madagot, I think that catastrophe is important. But yes, Phil, I'm going more in that direction, that um, the, the small hands theme mm -hmm. and the importance of individual choices. Yeah, Amdir Estel is a really, really important theme, but I don't think it's ultimately the core, the different forms of hope. Like hope is important. Um, and of course, Maggie, you'll remember, hope is one of the things that the showrunners identified as being a core. Hope like and it, friendship it's are got the to two. Be, it's got to yeah. be, be a story of hope, or it's not a Tolkien yeah. story. Tolkien story. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I, so I, 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 and I, I don't disagree with that. Um, um, I do think that the, the choices that are made by individuals, Frodo taking the ring to Mordor, Sam sticking with Frodo on the way to Mordor, Gandalf, Aragorn, Pippin, I mean, the choice of, you know, Gandalf's famous line about, you know, the only thing that we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us, right? That that kind of idea is, I think, what is really at the core. Um, and this is why I never agreed with people who said that they thought that the Rings of Power had deviated from the core. And I'm like, what, in what way? Like, are we are we seriously going to say that we think that white people are the core? Yeah. Like, right. Honestly, is that yeah, the problem what's, here? What's your definition of core? Like, because, I don't, and I know yeah. that that seems a very slighting way. People will talk about the mythology for England as if that's all about white people and stuff. And I, just, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with all of those arguments, but even if, and I'm speaking highly theoretically here, even if I were to grant, which I do not, that, English mythology equals white people and that that is the heart of what Tolkien was trying to do, you know, even indirectly. Because like, what he was trying to do was English mythology and that's a mythology for white people. And so, you know, the kind of Black Panther parallels people kept mm -hmm. making and everything, right? Even if I grant all that, which I do not grant, 
But even if I did grant all that, I would still say it's not the core. Um, it's just, I just, exactly. I don't at all think that that's the case. And, um, uh, and, and what's more, I would defy anyone. No, I don't even have to defy anyone. Look back at the decades and decades of Tolkien response and reaction prior to the release of the Rings of Power and tell me that everyone, anyone, has, al has always seen, you know, um, the, the culture of white people and the mythology of England to, oh, to be at the core of the Lord of the Rings. I mean, again, that Tolkien talked about this, we all knew that there were interesting implications of it. Many saw, um, mm -hmm. but there has never, ever prior to the Rings of Power, to the reactions against the Rings of Power, ever been this wellspring of, you know, allegiance to the idea that like white people are somehow essential to Tolkien's vision. Well, and it's um, so limited in terms of telling the story. I mean, how many stories do we have that are like Romeo and Juliet, but with mice? You know, like, like yep. But I just, yeah. It's not by. The, it's not about the cats. It's not about. Yeah. The cats. We're well, and that. that's exactly that's that's exactly the question, right? When it comes to the racial question in the Rings of Power. Um, or the question of the, you know, the, the more recent thing with Black Aragorn on the Magic the Gathering cards, yeah. the Lord the Rings Magic the Gathering cards. Um, the point is not even to say, like, the irrelevant, it, it's irrelevant whether or not that is, the point isn't, is, does that person they drew on that card look like Tolkien imagined Aragorn? That's not the question at all, right? The question is that it's just like the Romeo and Juliet question that you were asking, right? Um, and think about what is it? Why do those, um, what makes an adaptation, that kind of an adaptation, that kind of a, um, that kind of a, a um, modulation adaptation, right? That third category that, you know, when I was categorizing adaptations before, um, what makes that successful? when you've identified that core, right? When you're capturing something about the Romeo and Juliet story, even though it's miles and miles away from, what was it, Verona? I think that was yeah. in Verona where we make our, I'm trying to remember the opening lines of the, of, yeah. the, of, the, of, the, of the chorus, yeah. Um, anyway, Italy, like it's, way, it's way far away from Italy, right? In Fair um, Verona, we lay our scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Fair Verona, that, 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 that was what I thought, that was what I thought. Okay, anyway. But like the same thing, so like or Clueless, right, or something like yes. that. Like yeah. Clueless is a Some great adaptation. But yes, exactly, because it captures something yes. about the original. Like it, it's 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 still it's recognizably um, wrestling with the same stuff. And you know, Tolkien adaptation. I, I you know a lot of Tolkien fans aren't ready for this, but I think uh, we're just talking about this at Mythmoot actually. Um, you know, I was floating my idea of like a uh, a a Western uh, an American West set Tolkien story. You know, I'm like you had me at Western. Yes, whatever is following. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, I would, I would, I would, when it, like to take the like uh, 
like the ranger idea. I'm, th- I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, you know, Eriador and the Wild West, like you take Tolkien's idea of the wild and, and kind of juxtapose mm-hmm. it with the Wild West. And, um, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, anyway, it could be fascinating, It'd be a fascinating way to explore some of these things. And there's and there's so many stories that like taking this thing and moving it into space, taking this yeah. thing and putting it in the bottom of the sea, like taking this thing and making it animated mushrooms, like whatever. That isn't the yep. point. The point yep. is the story you're telling and how you're telling. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's really um, it's really about what is what is the essence, right? What well, is the, the yeah? Madagascar here too. The battle seems to be a problem because of your expectation, because you're picturing what we've already seen and what we know. The issue with a, a battle, the the problem we have to show is sides we can show two sides in many different ways so it just depends how that story is told on screen it might just be yep. two people it might be you know coaches versus a train i don't know like we, we figure out yeah i mean the shootout at the okay corral means. didn't actually involve that many people right, right. but it can be a you know <laughs> an epic and climactic battle right um, yeah and i assume you were for that was a good example of like yeah we have these expectations because of what we've seen and what our experience is and also filmmakers need to be aware of that so everybody's bringing all that into the room when they go to watch some of these things so if you're going to challenge that if you're going to give them something different that's fine as long as you don't muck up the core you know like you can still challenge that while having the essence of the story be really strong and very clear yeah no i think it would be there are lots of interesting possibilities there and in some ways you know in some ways this kind of adaptation is almost, I don't know, I'm tempted to say it's really a kind of higher level adaptation because really, like, you're really, you're really finding the core. You know, when you're doing, when you're, when you're kind of cutting the tether between your own imagination as far as the characters and the story and everything, um, you know, you're not trying to do, like, I'm still clueless in my head right here um you're not thinking about like fitting out a barouche you know you're not thinking about gowns you're not thinking about um you know trying to represent like what Hartfield should look like compared to you know what um uh you know the 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 you know like where the Fairfax is whatever I mean like you're not thinking about that right um instead your heart feel i'm thinking of yeah yeah thinking of emma anyway point is you um you're not thinking about that stuff right you kind of cut the tether from all of those things and now you're just instead saying what is the core of the story right what is the drama that matters what are the characters that matter what are the character interactions that matter and whether you do you might do i mean clueless does a pretty intricate character by character parallel right it's not perfect it's i mean like they make some they make some alterations but but it's pretty close right the 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 way they preserved almost all of the major characters from emma um and uh and given them a direct parallel in this new world is 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 very intricate and very cool but you don't even have to do that like they went further in that direction than they had to do in order to still preserve the core of the story um uh just like you don't need all of the characters of Romeo and Juliet, right, in order to do a Romeo and Juliet story. Um, uh, West Side Story is a good example 
of that. But anyway, um, it's so it's in some ways I would actually I would love. I hope I live to see Tolkien adaptations of this kind. I really do, um, because I think it's a it it's not really until you start going there that you're really, really challenged to think about the core yeah. because it's very possible. Um, I felt that there was a great deal of the Peter Jackson trilogy that missed the core of Tolkien, mm. um, but they did such a good job with so many of the other things. Right. Um, the, anyway, but they so there's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and their story is a, is a very good story and it's, and there are many similarities to what but Tolkien you can is see, doing. But you can see the pitfalls that if you miss the core and you're not telling a good story, you don't stand a chance. No. If you miss the core and you tell a really good story, you're going to piss off the fans, but you might still have a dedicated audience that loves your film. So you might be able to break even and stuff, but why would you risk that first one when you could just put in the more time and investment and work and try to get to the core? Yeah. Figure yeah. Out what that is. Though, again, like, there's also the, uh, go back to Harry Potter for a second, right? Part of the success of the first Harry Potter film is going to be premised not on story, not even essentially on the core of the story, but like, am I going to feel like I'm at Hogwarts? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. does, and what does is, that feel like? Is it going to look mean? like Hogwarts? Is it going to feel mm -hmm. like Hogwarts? Right. Um, yeah. Getting the setting right, getting the, the what I am tempted to call the superficial elements of the mm -hmm. story. Um, and it's, they're not superficial. They're deeply important. What? But but again, like this is where I think it is possible to have something to have a, an adaptation where you're like, man, they're, the scenery, the costuming, they're doing it really, really well. Right. Yeah. But. Sorry. Actually, I think several Jane Austen adaptations are this way. I was thinking about Robin Hood as you were talking. The mm, um, interesting was it? Yeah, the more recent one. Can't remember. Um, but I remember the setting, the costume, the design, the sound, amazing story. Ooh. Right. You know, you can take yeah. a lot of boxes. You miss a um, few bits. Yeah, and are they and, and and are they really getting the core of the Robin Hood story? I'm not sure that they were exactly. Right. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, but. But yeah, so sometimes that that superficial stuff can be almost a distraction, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. If if they get that part wrong, then I'm already worried because you know, again, I think I've done this example with Twilight before, where like they had to get a black leather sofa in Edward Cullen's bedroom because originally in the script it said they sat down on Edward's bed, and somebody right. was like, "He doesn't sleep. He doesn't have a bed. If you have a <laughs> right. bed in there, everybody's gonna be pissed off because you don't understand that Edward right. doesn't sleep and he needs to have a black leather sofa, like." It does not matter, but right. it matters but so it much. Matters. If yeah. I'm distracted and care about a bed not being there, I'm going to be pissed off for the rest of the film and not pay attention to you. But I think the distraction can go the other way as well. Um, mm. So I'm thinking about Emma. Um, the recent Emma adaptation, mm -hmm. it was like a, it was on Prime Video. I forget who did it. Um, it was BBC, I think. Yeah, it might have been the BBC. It was, it was so. gorgeous. It was like incredibly gorgeous like the, blanking on her name the woman from queen's gambit yeah that the, actress it was it was beautiful incredibly beautiful yeah, the costuming pretty. the landscape the colors, the colors was just unbelievable um and i was just 
I spent a whole lot of the time I was watching just in, in awe of what they had put together visually. But it wasn't a great adaptation of the book. Like, the characters in the core, I don't think they did a great job with the core of that book um, in that adaptation. Like, I didn't love it. I wanted to love it because I was admiring it so much. Um, but I was, I think, had the visuals been less good, the like, had I been less distracted <laughs> by how gorgeous everything was, I would have been even more aware of the, I would have been much more annoyed about the fact that I, you know, I felt like they were just like, you know, I, I felt like the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma adaptation didn't really get Emma's character at all. I mean, the, mm -hmm. I, you know, for with Jane Austen, it so much has to like, do you really get the heroine? like the core yeah. of the heroine's character and what makes that heroine important and what her story is. And I felt that Gwyneth Paltrow did not, that I'm not blaming Gwyneth Paltrow herself, but the, the Gwyneth Paltrow, Paltrow version, I felt like did not really um, get um, the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the Emma character, right. Madagat points mm -hmm. out that, um, he thinks we saw this with the elven hair thing and the feminine dwarf beard thing for the Rings yeah. of Power. Getting hung up on these these details that don't really affect it, but if that's what we're going to focus on and you don't get that right, you don't stand a chance for the core being recognized. Yeah, and that's that's an example of where that's one example of I think if I had to say mistakes that I think that the showrunners made with season one, I think that they I think that they presumed on more goodwill than Ooh. they got. That's they were, fair. I think that they were assuming that people would be willing to roll with a little bit more. I mean, and I'm not even talking about more changes. I mean, elves having short hair, this is not a major canonical issue at all. I mean, people can try to construct cases, um, but the lengths you have to go to to try to bring any textual evidence to the question Pardon. of elf hair is... is <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, is uh, is just a, is a testimony to the fact that this is not a crucial issue in Tolkien's yeah. writings. Like, it's just not. Um, it is not, for instance, a question as, that would be parallel to what happens to vampires in the sunlight in Twilight, right? That's a little more prominent, yeah. <laughs> right? And so, therefore, whereas, again, it's totally, um, totally fringe. Um <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but again, certainly distracting from, but, but again, the, the, the extent to which people were ready to get up in arms yeah. about female dwarf beards or about elf hair length, um, again, is a sign that they were not willing to show goodwill. Um, and honestly, all the whole time I was listening to that, I felt from the beginning that I was like, well, if, it, if, if, if it's not this, it would be something else. Like this, mm -hmm. what you're telling me is not, I care deeply, deeply, deeply about how long elf hair is. What you're telling me is I am not willing to like this. I'm not this. open. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not open, open to this at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I really want to pick a fight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and if it's not this, it'd be almost, something else. And, and there's different ways that you can kind of approach that too. Like I almost feel sorry for those people because they're not giving themselves the opportunity mm -hmm. to engage with this. But also, mm -hmm. it's probably coming from a place of anxiety and worry and protectiveness for a work that they like. So, you know, there's just a certain space that they're not willing to open up to because they're scared that their own ownership of the piece is going to be threatened in some way. 
So going into an adaptation, you almost have to shelve that and just say, doesn't affect anything about how I engage with this story. I'm just going to engage with this story and see what happens. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. So, uh, but yes, so it's interesting. One of the things we're kind of coming around to here in some ways is that um, there are ways in which identifying the core, getting the core right, um, doesn't, uh, like, isn't, in fact, the only thing, right? Isn't, isn't all that matters, in fact. Um, It's interesting. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Good luck to those people. Have an open mind. See if you can find some enjoyment. So speaking of having an open mind, let me come back to Indiana Jones. Because I admit my mind is not open. Like, I've you been scarred. You didn't seem very open. You didn't I wasn't very open. open. I wasn't open. Now, I love the Indiana Jones movies, you know. Um, but, yeah, like, I have I pretended that nothing exists since the... The trilogy. The, the, you know, the Holy Grail film? Yes, I have. Like, The Last Crusade is, you know, I've, I've tried to pretend nothing exists yeah. after that. Um Am I right? Right. As Phil says, all three of them. No, that's exactly it. Um, that's exactly it. Um, so I'm trying to be open about the third, the fifth, fifth one, I guess. And if, um, you, if you watch the trailers, I think that's what they're hoping the audience mm-hmm. is going to go into because they have to know everybody was burned by the skull. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of time passed, a lot of you know, mistakes were made and things discussed. They're, they seem to be leaning so hard into the nostalgia for this trailer. Yeah. That I think it's, I don't think it's going to be an epic story of any kind. They're just going to let us all have a good time. Yeah. That, that's, I, that's my hope going into it. The bar is pretty low. It is. But I expect to have a fun time. I'm, but this is a side note, but, um, I would like to come back to the question. I think I need to. The hardest part about having this discussion is I think I'd have to watch the Crystal Skull again. But um, to to. But I would like to have a better grasp on exactly where, and how, that's a failure. Um, is it simply that they told a bad story? Because I don't think it's that. I don't think it's maybe, but maybe it is. Maybe it's simply that that was a, a really bad story for all of these ways. It's a bad story that happened bad. to be an Indiana Jones film. But I think there's more. I think there's an element of like the core of Indiana Jones that they left behind. I think that. there's a lot there. And I think the definition of bad story is really tough because if you're just saying a bad story, yeah, there's some plot holes, there's some poorly developed characters, there's some yeah. really schmaltzy cheesy gimmicky moments that you're just like rolling your eyes at but also bad story with relation to poor and you know the impact that holy grail had on us and the heart that was in the end of that story and the father-son relationship i know they tried with shia labeouf but it just didn't play anything close to what sean connery and and harrison ford had so 
it it tried to tap into that didn't it but it didn't do a very good job and yeah like you said i'd probably have to rewatch it again but i feel like we'd have to have a drink or two and do a live watch party for that to be an enjoyable yeah we might we might need some serious support there yeah yeah and is that Um, the one you want us to do i mean come on we can surely find a better Right. I mean, if we're getting together uh, yeah. with refreshments a and a live party. party, do we really want to be to be dragging ourselves through the crystal skull again? Yeah. Um, I feel like we should make a poll for that to happen. That sounds really <laughs> right. fun. But I still, but I do think it would be an interesting question. Like to answer the question, you know, the way that um, C.S. Lewis talked about this, which was so informative to me and so informed my readings during the Hobbit films. Wherein does its badness consist? It's not just enough to say it's bad. Wherein exactly does its badness consist? And not just to be doing the crit fic thing. People often talk about the Crystal Skull and say, like, it was such a money grab, like they were just trying to exploit the popularity of Indiana Jones to make money. Of course they were. Every sequel ever made. Like, good sequels as well as bad are all done for that reason. Like, movie making is a business. It's It's not a charity, right? So, of course they were trying to make money, and of course they were trying to exploit the popularity of it to make money. Every sequel does that. Um... That's not an answer. Like, that doesn't make it bad. That is not the reason it is bad. Um, So, anyway. um, And that reason can be different for different people, and it can be compounded by different things. You know, I'm I'm happy to go into discussion one day about character and and things like that. But the the thing that keeps coming to the front of my mind is the damn ants, because they were so badly CGI. Like, Mm -hmm. if I get hung up on a technical thing, like we said with the other plot story elements, it's a shame that that will be the downfall. But that was my downfall because I was too distracted by this bad thing. I couldn't even pay attention to the other stuff. Yeah. Hey, let's start a whole series of Uh-oh. discussing bad adaptations. Analytically, not yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's talk about like bad this. examples. Because I also want to see like what good things we can learn. Um, yes. And not just learn in the sense of don't do that, but learn. Like I, I've often said that even a bad adaptation helps you understand things about the original 100%. that you didn't before. Even is some of the things, not just because there are some redeeming features to every bad thing, but bec- even the things that they do badly often, often do. But, um, but yeah, yeah and, all the, and all the references, you know, we give in this show of like, well, this is what they could have done. But let me tell you about and you start listening. Right. It's so, so helpful. Yeah. So let's, it would be fun to think of several examples of bad, bad adaptations. adaptations. That's yeah. a good name. Yep, I feel like that could be in partnership with uh, fan tracks. <laughs> well, I'm actually just kind of thinking that. I'm like, we could do a fan track recording, actually, of the Crystal Skull and, and, and talk about that. Yeah. It would be a fun um, doing some films in which we're just simply talking about it as adaptation, yeah. you know, both good and bad would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not those minds and hands. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> Different minds and hands, please. Yeah. All right. Um, we will work on another minds and hands watch along. I think that's a good move for the summer. Um, yeah, and, that'd be fun. And we'll build up some. I, I feel like we must have mentioned fan tracks in here, but that's a project in development with studios. So hopefully by the end of the summer, you guys will have access to that. But it's audio tracks that you can hit play and watch your favorite or least favorite movies and have us talking analysis alongside and not just us, you know, everybody in our community and creators and and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we have to run as always. Thanks everybody for a really, uh, a really fun discussion. Um, 
but um, looking forward to more. Yeah, bad adaptations. I totally not want to talk, talk I about that. Bad, bad adaptations, not those minds and hands. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, oh, awesome. Love it. Anyway, thanks, everybody. We'll be back for more conversations soon, especially this summer with Maggie here. We'll, you know, we may be doing all kinds of different things. So, um, uh, should be fun stuff coming up. So, awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Yeah.